one of the things uh, that you may have learned when you spend a little bit of time with, with me is sometimes, oftentimes, I wear my heart on my sleeve. And so you know where I'm at. You know how I feel. I, I'm not always sure if this is a good thing or not, um, but it's just part of the way that God has wired me. And so we're going to spend the next couple weeks, and I, and I just, you know, I'll just say as I started looking at uh, this message this weekend, man, it was an emotional week for me. And just thinking about uh, uh, this message, it's personal, it's, it's emotional, and uh, so I'm going to ask you just to, to, to bear with me today, bear with me next week, and uh, let's pray that the Lord would do something in our, uh, in, in, our, in our mix. I'm a fan of history. I always wondered why I didn't become a history teacher and just coach kids. That would be a fun job for me to do. But I'm a fan of history, so I enjoy reading. I actually have, have learned that you can uh, get a... a, a um, audiobook account, and you can rent books from the library, so it's been really fun. I love just listening and reading. Um, one of the books I read uh, is a book called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. Uh, it's a book, uh, we actually have a couple copies of this on the, um, on the resource table. I would encourage you to, to pick up a copy of it. Uh, this book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, is, is a beautiful story of revival, a revival that occurred through uh, the Brooklyn Tabernacle Church in New York City. The story behind this book is uh, there's this church in this, this rough neighborhood. It's a rough part of New York City. Uh, this was a church that had broken down, that was kind of just struggling to get through. Uh, they bring in this pastor who's just completely overwhelmed, has no clue what to do, has no clue, how do I even do this? And he got to the point where he said, man, I've got nothing left to offer. And so what he does, he said, church, we've got nothing left to do other than to pray and to go back to the gospel message. And, and the response to this idea about prayer and the gospel message was, was so amazing that there just became this outpouring of God's spirit on this church. And you saw this tremendous revival through this church, inner city, New York City, the Brooklyn Tabernacle Church. You saw hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of people who came to know Jesus, whose lives were completely transformed. Marriages that were bound for divorce healed and restored. Families strengthened. There was a neighborhood that was a rough neighborhood that was completely changed. That church today is a church of over 10,000 people strong because they had this emphasis of prayer and the gospel message. And I love reading stories like this. In fact, there's another story I read. Uh, this one occurred uh, sometimes around the 1850s. Around the 1850s, a slavery, slavery issue it was hot in our country. Uh, gold had been found in California, so people were all excited to go and, and pursue pos, uh, 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 prosperity. And, and because of these things going on, people didn't quite have much of a need for God. They didn't have a need for faith because they could put their faith in their prosperity. And there was a ch church that was, again, another church they're, they're, they're in their last-ditch effort. They're like, hey, we're going to have to shut this thing down. Our last-ditch effort, let's hire this guy who is a businessman. Let's hire this businessman to come work for the church who had no experience in anything in ministry. And so this guy, this businessman comes in, becomes pastor of this church. He's like, well, what do I do? And so he starts knocking on doors and trying to tell people about Jesus. And there wasn't much success in that. So this businessman says, you know what? I don't know what to do. So he put a circle on a, on a calendar, September 23rd, and he said, here's what we're going to do. We're just going to do a prayer meeting. They put some advertising out, put some placards out. Hey, come to this prayer meeting, September 23rd at, at, at 12 noon. He shows up to the prayer meeting, noon, no one's there. 
He's praying by himself. 1210, 1215, 1220-1225, he hears some footsteps walking up. Five other men joined him by 1230. Those men prayed for another half hour, and they left. And they said, hey, we're going to meet again. And they met again, and they met again. Within six months, within six months, uh, that group of five men had turned into uh, over 10,000 people strong. Of, of, of doctors and lawyers and bankers and mechanics and the unemployed and the addicted. All these people showing up together. That in, in March, six months later, 10,000 people were showing up out of a population of only 80,000 people. In fact, this was happening and it was so miraculous that the newspapers were sending reporters to go to these prayer meetings to record, man, what's happening here? What, what's, what's, what's occurring here? There's this revival that spread out of that prayer meeting. All across the, 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 the northeast of our country, all across the north of our country, into the south, there's an estimate that, that in that span of one year, over one million people were added to churches in that year. That is one-thirtieth of the U.S. population. And you begin to read through some of the stories that happened in result of this revival, of lives that weren't just encouraged, weren't just strengthened, but lives that were truly transformed and changed. Again, marriages that are redeemed, marriages that are healed, uh, lives that are set free from addiction once and for all. Not this halfway in, halfway out, but lives set free. Gospel taking root in people's lives. In fact, there was one gathering. There's one gathering. They have this prayer meeting, and this lady stands up, and it says, I'd like you to pray for me. She says, my, my husband is not a Christian, and we have a very tense home life. He does all these non-Christian things at our home, and it's just, it's creating chaos for our family. Would you pray for me? And she sat down, and across this room, this man stood up and said, hey, that woman is asking you to pray for me. He said, would you pray for me right now? And he sits down, and another man stands up and says, that woman's talking about me. Would you pray for me? And he sits down, and another man, and another man, and another man all stood up and said, this is me. In that one prayer meeting, that one church, 500 men turned and gave their life to Jesus. Because one woman stood up and said, would you pray this with me? Would you pray for me? And I love, I love hearing these stories. I love hearing about people who get to the point where it's not enough just to do church. It's not, it's not enough just to do church. It's not enough just to show up to church two or three times a month and I then find ourselves being critical because the pastor preached too long or the music wasn't my favorite. It wasn't, it wasn't enough for these people to, to grudgingly sacrifice one night of the week to go to a life group when Acts chapter 2 says the life group method is the, the lifeblood of the church. I love reading stories of people who recognized their need. Recognized that they were, were empty of themselves and they needed God to do something. And they sought the power of the Holy Spirit. And in result of that, you see transformation. Transformed lives, transformed marriages, transformed families, transformed neighborhoods, transformed communities. I, I love reading about this. And then I stop reading and I look around. When you're looking at your life, 
when you're looking at your family, you're looking at our church, when you consider your workplace, your school, you look at our, our city and our world, is that what we see? Is that what we see? Transformation and power? I, I can speak for myself and say I'm tired of seeing this. I'm tired of seeing the brokenness all around us. I'm tired of seeing sin continue to reign and reign and reign. I'm tired of seeing people with little hope. Just this last week, a friend of mine uh, posted on Facebook that she went running at Franklin Park and came across a young woman who had hung herself at Franklin Park. I'm tired of reading about these things. It just, I'm tired of it. I'm tired of hearing about about marriages under attack. I'm tired of the fact that divorce is always the quickest and easiest way to deal with a difficult relationship. I'm tired of seeing families struggling. I'm tired of seeing kids struggling with how how do I live out my faith in a completely secular school that pushes me away from the things of God. I'm tired that so many of us so many of us in this room, personally, we, we wrestle with the same sins over and over and over again. That we come to church and we feel bad about it. God, I'm never going to do it again. And then we do it again. I'm tired of seeing this. And I'm tired of what we do then is then we show up to church our two or three times a month. And we feel good and we feel devout because I'm going to church. But truthfully... We're just making a dent. We're not making a difference. There's no true power. There's no true transformation around us. Are you satisfied with this? Is this all that God wants for us? Why have we settled for this? Because I can speak for myself, but I refuse to believe that this is all that God has for us. I refuse to believe it. The passage that Donna read for us this morning, Habakkuk 3, verse 2, we're going to look at this verse for a couple of weeks because really it reveals a little bit of my heart, of my desperation to see more. The prophet Habakkuk, he's praying, and this is what he said. He says, Lord... I've heard the reports about you. Lord, I stand in awe of your deeds. And he prays and says, God, would you revive your work in these years? Would you make your work known in these years? In wrath, God, would you remember mercy? This is where here we are in 2019. We can look back and we can read about the history of all these revivals. We can read about these great outpourings, the Holy Spirit. When God does these miraculous things, we can read about God saving sinners and God transforming communities and God changing places. And I'm in awe of that. I love reading about it. I love reading about his power and his transformation and his redemption. I'm in awe of it. And I long for that. I I long to see some of that. And so my request becomes just like the prophet Habakkuk. Just that same prayer. that, That the same thing would happen for us. That we would pray and say, God, would you revive your work in these years? That the work that you've done in the past, those, that, that miraculous, that power, that redemption, God, would you revive that again and do it again right here, right now, in this time? 
Like, how, how come that's not our prayer? God, God, would you do it again? That's what I long for. That's what I, I long for, that God would pour out his spirit. That there would be transformation in our city, that there would be transformation in our church, that there would be transformation in our lives. Habakkuk prays and says, God, in your wrath, would you remember mercy? He says, God, don't give us what we deserve, but give us your grace. The next two weeks, this is what we're talking about. The heart of this verse, that we would see revival. That we would see revival. That God, that God would do it again. That out of desperation, we wouldn't settle on just making a dent, but that we would see the outpouring of God's Spirit to make a difference. To see the, the power of the gospel begin to transform us, to transform our church, to transform our city. We're going to look and we're going to see three things this week and next week. Three th conditions for revival. Three things that are necessary for revival. And let me just say this. These are not things that if we get right, it guarantees there's going to be this outpouring of the Holy Spirit and there's going to be all this transformation. This isn't a magic formula. These are things that puts us in a right spot for God to show up, for his power, for his presence, for revival to occur in our time, in our church, in our city, in our story. Three things, three conditions that we could seek God to seek his power and presence. The first thing we're going to look at today, condition for revival is prayer. Prayer. Luke chapter 11, Jesus is teaching on prayer. And this is what Jesus says. He says, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? And this is just basic logic, right? Like, like when, as a parent, when your kid asks for something, you do whatever you can to provide because you love seeing the joy in your children when you can provide for them what they're asking for. There's, there's, there's a, a joy in watching them open up their gifts and they're like, woohoo, this is what I wanted. There's a joy in that. And so Jesus says, if then those of us who are evil, who are wicked, who are sinners, if we know how to give good gifts to our children, and listen to this, how much more where will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? If we who are sinful, if we know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will God give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Who does He give it to? To those who ask Him. The question is, well, why don't we ask? Why don't we ask him? Why don't, why don't we be people of prayer? And I heard a pastor say this, and I think this is important for us to look at, is that we, became, we become a person of great prayer when we become aware of two things. First, when we become aware of our great need, and second, when we become aware of God's great willingness. That we'll become people of great and powerful prayer when we become aware of these two things, our great need and God's great willingness. And I'll be honest, when I hear that, there's a little bit of conviction in me. But I can't speak for you, but I can speak for me. Because when you think about your life, you think about your situation, whatever you've got going on in your life, man, most of us, man, we feel pretty smart. We feel pretty capable, right? Smart enough to figure out the situation at work. 
We've got this thing blowing up, but I'm smart enough and I can just read enough and figure out some solution to the problem I'm having. We're smart enough on our own to figure out the teenage years and all the emotions and all the... We're smart enough to navigate that on our own. We're smart enough to figure out how to make our marriage that is so difficult. We're smart enough to figure out how to make it to work, at least survive. We're smart enough to figure out how do we parent kids when our wives are gone. No, we're not smart enough to do that. We can get by. But we think we're smart enough to do these things. And when we begin to struggle on those things, what do we do? We try harder. We find a new method. We read a different book that says, here's what you need to do. When I just look at me, I'm a pastor of a church. I've gone to school to learn how to be a pastor. I read books written by experts that say, listen, this is the wisdom you need to know on how to plant a church that brings change in your community. So I start looking at our church, or I start looking at our city, and I focus on getting better. I focus on better strategies and better programs and better sermons. I, I focus on being a better leader, and I try as hard as I can because I'm smart enough. I can figure it out. I can come up with a strategy that, that this will happen. And when you look at what we're doing, what's the result of that? Is it, is it the same thing that we just talked about? About those times of revival where God shows up and God transforms and God does these, 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 these miraculous things, is that what we're seeing in our lives? Is that what we're seeing in our families? Is that what we're seeing in our marriages? Is that what we're seeing in our church? This, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, of transformation, is that what we're seeing? Listen, I don't want to just make a dent. I don't want to just get by. I want to make a difference. And we don't ask God because we don't see our need because we're good at relying on ourselves. We're good at relying on a different power than God. We're good at relying on ourselves. And so the only need we have is when we come up with a plan, hey, God, would you bless my plan? That's the only need that we end up talking to God about. Well, God, I've got this figured out. You just need to bless what I'm doing. Instead of saying, God, hey, I need your plan. I need your wisdom. I need to do what you want me to do. And then what happens is because you and I are always relying on our own power, our own strength, we're relying on ourselves. God's like, well, man, you're not going to seek me. You're not going to seek my wisdom. And so we pray and we're like, man, God doesn't, God's not even willing to help. I mean, I've come up with this plan. All God has to do is bless it. And then everything will work. And God's like, I'm not going to do that. And we're like, God, you're not even willing to help me out. Because I've got this plan. I've got it figured out, God. You just have to go with me. And so we sit here wondering. Man, I've got it all figured out, but God's unwilling. Because we are seeking, we aren't seeking his plans, we're seeking ours. Listen, if you have a lack of a consistent prayer life, it's not a matter of, of self-discipline. It's not a matter of you need to have better discipline. A lack of a consistent prayer life is a gospel problem. That you are not praying because you are unaware of your need or you are unconvinced that God is willing to help. 
That is why we don't pray. It's because we are relying on ourselves or because we don't understand that God is willing to help us. The gospel says, and the gospel says, you can't save yourself. You can't fix your sin problem. You are dependent on God. And when we can understand that gospel message that we are humbly aware of our need, aware of our brokenness, aware of our need to have God rescue us, when we are convinced that God is willing to help, that's when we begin to pray. That's when we begin to seek God's uh, uh, help. That's when prayer becomes instinctive. That's when prayer becomes as natural as breathing. When we become aware of our need and aware of his willingness. See, nobody, nobody breathes out of self-discipline. Nobody breathes that way. We don't forget to breathe. It's not like you wake up and forget, oh, I haven't breathed yet. No, even the least disciplined amongst us, we breathe continually because our body knows how badly we need air and how plenteous it is around us. See, it's our frequency towards pride and unbelief that keeps us from praying, that keeps us from, from breathing in the Holy Spirit and being in constant prayer to Him. Again, this is just speaking to myself. This is my struggle, where I feel pretty confident in myself. I feel pretty confident in my plans, in my wisdom, in my direction. And since this is my struggle, where I have the struggle of, of control, uh, of saying, God, this is what I'm doing. I want you to bless it. I had an opportunity with a couple pastors a couple weeks ago to lead them in this time of devotion. And I said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do this little process where we're going to look at John 14, 15, and 16. This is a passage that we covered a couple weeks ago where Jesus is talking on the Holy Spirit. I said, we're going to look at these passages and we're going to try and, and write down everything that the Holy Spirit does. Let's try and understand everything that, that Jesus says the Holy Spirit does. I, I wrote these down for you. Uh, the Holy Spirit leads us. The Holy Spirit guides us. The Holy Spirit empowers the church. The Holy Spirit comforts us. The Holy Spirit convicts us about sin. The Holy Spirit reminds us of truth. The Holy Spirit reminds us, or, or, or excuse me, the Holy Spirit frees us from the bondage of sin. The Holy Spirit manifests to us God's power. The Holy Spirit guides us to truth. The Holy Spirit makes his home in the life of a Christian. The Holy Spirit testifies about Jesus. The Holy Spirit comforts us. The Holy Spirit changes us. The Holy Spirit transforms us. The Holy Spirit keeps us in Christ. This is all what Jesus teaches us that the Holy Spirit does. Listen, if that's what the Holy Spirit does, why are we trying so hard to see those things in our lives? If this is what the Holy Spirit does, why are we trying to control the outcome to make sure that happens? That's His job, not ours. Why are we trying so hard to bring about this when, when God said this is what the Holy Spirit does? That's His job, right? Why are we trying to make these things happen in our own strength? And for so many of us, we live in this place. We live right in this place where we've got what we're going to do. We've got a method. We've got a strategy. And what we're doing, if we're going to be honest, is not working to the extent that God would want for us. It's not working, ultimately, to bring transformation to our marriages. 
It's not working to change our families. It's not working to change our children. It's not working to change our church and to change our community. It's not working to change our lives. We don't need better strategies. We don't need better knowledge. We don't need to try harder. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. That is what we need. Not to try harder, not to, not to, to be smarter. We need the Holy Spirit. In fact, when you look in the Bible, and you can, we're going to do this, you look at every major outpouring of the Holy Spirit, every major work of revival is always, always, always connected to intense times of prayer, to people recognizing our need of God and God's willingness to help. Joshua chapter 24, the Old Testament. Joshua has led God's people into the promised land. This is a big day for them. This is something that they've been looking forward to for, for, for years upon years. And, and they've achieved that. And, and Joshua is going to lead them to this, this time of re renewing a covenant with God. To renew their relationship. And Joshua 24 verse 1, it begins and says, The people stood before the Lord. They presented themselves before the Lord and they prayed. And there's this outpouring of God's spirit and renewal. In the book of Judges, there's this, this cycle that happens again and again. And maybe this cycle sounds familiar to you. Where the people, they, they, they grow cold and they wander away from God. And then all of a sudden they have these consequences from wandering away from God. Maybe it's punishment, but they suffer the consequences of walking away from God. And they struggle. And so they cry out to God. God, God, would you come? And God would raise up a champion or a judge to deliver them. How many of us sounds like that's like the cycle that we see continually in our life? Desperate prayers always precede deliverance and power. Second Chronicles, Second Chronicles, Solomon, King Solomon, he has been able to lead God's people to build the temple. Again, this is another high point for the people of God. They're excited. We've done this. We built the temple of God. And Solomon prays. It says he prays, and God sends down fire from heaven. To fill the altar. And God tells Solomon, and Solomon tells the people, hey, here's what happens. If you wander away from God, God's blessing will be removed from you. But in 2 Chronicles 7 verse 14 says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears will be attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. When does God show up? When the people pray. That's when God shows up. First Kings, First Kings, Israel is divided into kind of two camps. You've got one camp that is still worshiping God, but then you've got this other camp that's the majority of the people, and they're worshiping the false god of Baal right? We talked about that story last week. You've got these two camps, and, and they're trying to figure out which God is right, the, the, the one true God or the, the God of Baal. And so the prophets are saying, hey, we'll, we'll have a little showdown. We'll pray, and whoever's God is real will send down fire and consume the altar. And so the prophets of Baal, they're trying all this stuff. They're, they're dancing. They're shouting. They're trying to do whatever they can to get their God of Baal to come and light this altar on fire. Remember the story? I, I love that story. Elijah's kind of watching them dance and sing and chant and, and do whatever they can. And Elijah's like, hey, maybe your God's in the bathroom. Maybe he's got some problems in there and he's not coming out. He can't hear you. And then there's Elijah. 
He lets them go for hours. Elijah gets down on his knees and prays that God would make himself known to the people. And God sends down fire from heaven to remove any doubt in the people's hearts about who the true God is. Elijah prays and God shows up. Book of Nehemiah, we're going to look at this next week. The book of Nehemiah, there's a major revival, a major renewal that occurs in response to reading the word of God. And it occurs through the people calling on God's name. Again and again and again. You see this in the Old Testament. That God's power shows up when the people are praying and intent on praying and seeking his power. New Testament, it's the same thing. You're going to see the Holy Spirit often related to prayer. In Luke chapter 3, in Luke chapter 3, Jesus, uh, the baptism of Jesus, it says Jesus is baptized also. And while he was praying, heaven opened up and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form in the form of a dove. That when Jesus prays, the Holy Spirit comes upon him. In Acts chapter 1, verse 14, it says the disciples were together in one accord. It might have been a civic, I don't know. But they were together in one accord, devoting themselves to prayer. And they prayed together for 10 days. And then you see the Spirit come upon them in a miraculous way in Acts chapter 2. Because they prayed. In Acts chapter 4, they're dealing with this intense opposition and it says they got together in verse 31. It says they got together when they had prayed and the place in which they were gathered uh, together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness, with boldness. See, every single spiritual awakening in the Bible is connected to intense time of prayer. These things, they go together. People Humbly seeking God, humbly seeking his power, humbly seeking his presence is always connected to these major outpourings of the Holy Spirit, these times of renewal, these times of revival. In fact, I remember when I got saved, I went to this church, and every year they would schedule revival. We're going to have a revival this weekend. Listen, you don't schedule a revival. You don't calendar a revival. Revival happens uh, uh, based on conditions when we recognize our need and we understand that God is willing to do it. In fact, I read an article, I'll, I'll post it on social media this week, about this uh, Fulton Street revival, this Fulton Street prayer meeting. And here's what they said about this prayer meeting. They said, everywhere it was a revival of prayer. There was no hysteria no unusual disturbances, just prayer. That's what resulted in a million people being added to the church in a single year. Not great preaching, not great music, not great programs, prayer. In fact, Martin, Luther, Martin Lloyd-Jones, speaking on revival, he said our problem is getting to a place where we're completely impotent. Because at first, we persist in thinking that we can set the situation just right. Here's this quote. I'm going to read it to you. It's long. At first, we persist in thinking that we can set the situation just right. And think about this for you. Think about this in your marriage, in your work, in your school, in your life, in your sin, in your struggle. And think about this in our church. We can just write a new book. Maybe preach some better sermons sermons. Maybe start some new mission work. Maybe adopt some new program that this will stem the tide of our enemy. But when we come to realize at long last that it's not working, 
It's not working. It's not working at least to effectively stop the tide of our enemy and to save our children. What we're doing is not working. And then we remember the promise that when the enemy comes like a flood, it is the Lord who will raise a standard against him. And so we throw ourselves upon the mercy of God. It's not so much an organized prayer emphasis as, as it is an act of desperation. And then, and only then, does the power of the Holy Spirit come flooding upon us and into us. And God does in that moment what the church can hardly accomplish in half a century. love this church. I love the people that call this church home. I love our city. But I'm not satisfied just doing church. I'm not satisfied in just making a dent. That I want what Habakkuk said. That I want to stand in awe of God's deed. And I desperately want to see God revive his work right here. I want to see God revive his work in our church, in, in our city, in our families, in our lives. That I want to see God do something miraculous right here. To bring change and transformation. The question I have for you this morning is would you join me? Would you join me? We're going to sing a song in just, just a minute. And I'll be honest, we're going to do something a little different today. I hope that there's a little holy discontentment in us. Where we're not just seeking better strategies. We're not just going to try harder. We're not going to come up with new programs. We're not going to try and figure out how to preach better. I'm going to invite you during this song. I want you to come forward with me. To circle up. And let's just pray. Let's just pray. In desperation, asking God to show up in our families, asking God to show up in our schools, asking God to show up in our church, asking God to show up in our city. That we would pray and confess our need and that would, we would plead with God to do what only God can do. Listen, if you were a guest with us today, man, you are loved. And I am so glad you are with us today. If you're unsure, uncomfortable coming forward, listen, you are welcome to stay in your seat. You can pray in your seat. You can stand and sing this song along with the worship team. And I hope that you'd be encouraged to hear the prayers for our city, to hear prayers for you, to see, to hear the prayers for our church. But I am going to invite everyone in here to come forward during this song, to circle up and pray with me in desperation that God would do what only he can do. We're going to pray these short prayers, one to two sentences, and pour out our hearts to God for our families, for our homes, for our work, for our schools, for our church, for our lives, for the gospel. And pray that God's power would be poured out and that we would see revival in this place.
So would you stand with me right now? Would you stand with me right now? I'm going to ask you to, to read this verse with me. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 2. It says, Lord, I have heard the report of you and of your work. And, oh, Lord, I do fear. In the midst of these years, God, would you revive it? In the midst of these years, would you make it known? God, in wrath, remember mercy.